CBD FX's CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBD FX uses only organically grown hemp and all natural ingredients. CBD FX's best selling line of CBD products features wellness boosting CBD and legal Delta 9 THC gummies, oil tinctures, capsules, pens, and other products. Visit CBDFX.com today and use code Genius to get 25% off site wide plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase. The code is GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners, only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Sean Bossard. Uh, he's the Director of Agricultural Operations at Cornell, uh, Cornell AES. Uh, Sean oversees greenhouses and plant growth chambers and uh, eight research farms uh, located across New York State. Uh, he provides day-to-day guidance as well as broad strategic direction of all uh, Cornell AES operations. So we're going to talk about his work in uh, growing plants and composting and greenhouses. So welcome, Sean. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Quick question right off the bat. How long would you be able to grow any vegetables up north there in Cornell if you didn't have greenhouses? Just during the summer. You know, our growing season, typically for vegetables, you're you're getting in after the end frost, which is the end of May, and you're typically getting them in, ending on the vegetable through the summer and into the, into the fall, it'll waste maybe October. And that's about the season. Well, pretty short. So, yeah, I've heard greenhouses are called season extenders. So the type of greenhouses that you guys run, um, how long do they allow you to grow uh, various vegetables? Well, I guess there's a, a definition difference right there that probably we need to get get clear on. There's a high tunnel, which is a plastic covered like a hoop house. Those are typically what we call season extenders. And so you can plant, say, microgreens, small vegetables earlier in the spring, say April, and uh, and and later, which would probably get you into November. The greenhouses, though, they're a year-round, they're a year-round deal. Our greenhouses are all glass, and so we can grow especially anything, anytime we want, all year around. Oh, wow. so you have enough sunlight, and the greenhouse uh, being glass, is it? Is it thermally insulative enough for things December, January, February? Well, we have challenges, no question of that. So typically, we, we have uh, growth lighting inside the greenhouse. One of the projects that we've been taking on is slowly converting over to uh, multi-spectral LED lighting. And so that light is uh, set up to the crop on timers and uh, set up for maximum growth on those plants. So we're able to control the light function within the greenhouse uh, that way. In terms of heat, uh, we have heaters that we have to run. That's that's a fact of life. And in the summertime, it gets ultra hot, and we have to uh, cool the facility down, and we have uh, a handful of different options for doing that. Yeah, I've heard of like white peonies or in-ground greenhouses. Have you guys ever experimented with those, or are yours more traditional above ground? We're more traditional above ground. I, what makes us a little bit different 
is that, you know, if somebody came and looked at our greenhouse and say, they, especially for the industry, they must they kind of look and maybe shrug their shoulders a little bit. When you look at some of the commercial greenhouses that are out there today, technologically speaking, they're quite a bit further ahead than we are. At the end of the day, what we do is we provide a facility for faculty to do research at. And so what we're, we're not out for production, we're, we're out for a consistent environment so they can do their comparison. Uh, ultimately, that's what we're trying to achieve with our system. Great. Question, you mentioned the LED lighting, the multi-spectral lighting. What was used before that? And then uh, is there such a thing as a full-spectrum uh, LED source, light source now? There is, and, and boy, they're not cheap. So that's what's taking us a while to put them in uh, room by room, essentially. The lighting that we used to use is very typical of a, a light you might see on a, a street, right? Uh, it's going to look a lot like a street lamp hanging there. So nothing too special. Uh, that That's kind of what they were. Oh, well, okay. So the new uh, the new innovations in LED light is it can do pretty much any spectrum you want, or you know, how good is the technology now? Yeah, we could adjust the spectrum. The fact is, we have a researcher here doing just that. Uh, he's looking at different light spectral across, uh, say, cherry tomatoes. And uh, it's really neat stuff. The nice thing about those LED lights, uh, they provide us the ability to more mimic real sunshine, but they also are a huge energy saver. Uh, the old lights would suck up a lot of electricity, and these just don't. So from an energy savings perspective, we do intend on saving some money there. Not as much as people might think, because we're going to run them a little bit more intense in some times of the year than others. But but still, they should represent a significant electrical savings for us. You also said they're pretty expensive, so I guess the payback period is, is a while. Yeah, so. especially because we're not selling anything, right? So yeah, it, it does. It takes a while to, to recoup that. So what are some of the, I don't know if you know, but what are some of the experiments going on in the greenhouse that might be interesting to talk about? Well, that is actually a good question. We do a fair amount of hemp work in here. So there's hemp breeding projects that are happening. Corn and the soybean breeding programs typically will start their plants here in the greenhouses and then move them out in the field in the spring. And that's, that's mostly been done. If they're looking at specific phenotypes, uh, that typically might stay inside the, the greenhouse. There's a bunch of tomato work going on, you know, breeding programs, uh, Using tomatoes as a grow medium, if you will, to experiment with lighting. That's one of the cool ones that's going on right now. Is it organic in the greenhouse or are people, uh, I mean, do people even spray pesticides inside greenhouses? And so wouldn't that contaminate everything? I mean, it's a be organic. If it was organic next to uh, not organic, absolutely it would, but we don't. And that's in something else that might be a little bit different about our houses versus a commercial setting. Our houses are broken up in what you call sub-chambered greenhouse. So within the greenhouse complex, we have about 146 different, what we call greenhouses, but they're actually chambers within one larger greenhouse. So we're able to achieve separation that way. And as we look at these projects coming in, we have to make sure that some projects have to be further away than others, right? Or in certain realms. Some of our greenhouse rooms, you can, um, they have a walkout area. Uh, so you can actually have secondary containment, if you will. So if you're doing research on, on insect impacts to crops, obviously we don't want those insects escaping and getting into other crops where they shouldn't be. So there are any specialized rooms that can keep the insects in where they belong and they don't get out. Same thing when we have uh, researchers working with plant pathogens, you know, as they experiment with different ways to control various plant diseases, they may have a, uh, we have separate areas for that too. So as we look at projects, we have to really think hard about where they go in conjunction with other projects. So it's like a big jeep stop puzzle in a way. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So what is your role in the greenhouse? Are you or the general manager making sure everything's running or do you have your own experimentation too? No, I do not. Uh, my job is strictly to provide what our operations need to get their job done. So my function is a support function. And in terms of the greenhouses themselves, uh, I just make sure they have what they need to get done what they need to. So we have a greenhouse manager overall, and then we have two greenhouse supervisors for the two different primary locations that we have greenhouses. My job really is much more administrative. So a lot of uh, HR stuff. And again, working with our campus facilities units, working with different faculty members, just trying to make sure that we have the rooms functioning. Uh, if there's big projects coming up, we'll work with uh, uh, construction companies and facilities on that. Uh, example that we just had a brand new headhouse built. They're almost done with it, and uh, we'll be doing a grand opening here at the end of the month. I I hope. Uh, and so we were pretty involved with that too. My role is is more of a big picture view versus the day to day management of greenhouses. I let that go to people that know way more than I do about it. Okay. What are the major inputs to the greenhouse that have to be managed? You know, we talked about lighting, temperature. Um, what about compost, fertilizer, chemicals, the spray, things like that. Yeah, that's all part of it. So we, one of the biggest in a greenhouse operation like this actually is soil. You know, we have to buy peat soil mix and boy, we go through a lot of it. You know, we'll get it in by the tractor trailer load. And so that's a big expense. Some faculty may want a specific soil mix. Uh, we have different recipes that we follow and fertilizer is part of that. So, you know, fertilizer is another one, uh, pesticides are another input. And we don't do a lot with compost within the greenhouses per se, but we add to the general compost operation that we have. So depending on the plant, if the experiment wraps up and the plants have to go, a lot of that stuff's run through the autoclave, which will uh, make sure that any pathogens or anything like that are killed. And uh, then they go into a compost bed and, and eventually get added to the compost operation that we oversee. CBD affects full-spectrum and broad-spectrum CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBDFX is offering our listeners an exclusive 25% off, which I think is very generous, plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase when you use the code GENIUS. Don't miss this special 25% off offer. For Finding Genius listeners, only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. Is there anything in particular with the making of the compost that's uh, that's interesting? Oh, yeah, that's a fascinating operation in and of itself. So to kind of give you an idea, we have a compost operation that covers about four acres of land. And what we do is we bring in about, oh, gosh, it's going to be uh, about... It's roughly 2,700 tons of animal bedding, uh, mainly from our vet school, about 800 tons of food scraps and organic kitchen waste from the Cornell dining halls around campus, and probably roughly 300 tons worth of uh, plant debris. Uh, so a lot of that comes from the greenhouses, and then, then some of it might come from the orchard as well. And so all of that is uh, blended together and put into windrows. Uh, the windrows are turned periodically to keep the temperature up. And eventually you have a finished cockles product that we can either uh, sell or utilize ourselves. Anything interesting about the compost? Um, you know, where it comes from, does it use like all Cornell material from dining halls? Like what's, it, uh, what's interesting about it? Well, I think what's interesting about it is the fact that 20 years ago, they took the initiative to make it. And so being able to take 
that food waste from all of the food cafeteria systems within campus and divert it over to a facility that can turn it into something really kind of good is a great thing. It keeps all that out of the landfill. A lot of the manure that might be uh, disposed of in a different way from the vet school, that ends up in there. And so at the end of the day, you have a, a compost product that, that's a remarkable growing medium, and we amend a lot of our field plots with it. Some people buy it, but primarily we use it internally, and uh, it provides a fantastic nutrient and water retention source for field plots. Okay. Some of the other inputs, are there any uh, innovations that you've, you know, you or greenhouse managers have been able to accomplish with some of the other, other inputs? Again, like soil, you said is a major one. You know, what's difficult about soil? Do you have to, again, get it from people that will actually make soil for you? Were you able to make it your own substance, you know, with the compost? Or where do you get it? So with the greenhouses, we make specific soil for those greenhouses. So we buy peat moss that come in bales. We'll buy bulk perlite. Uh, we'll buy other things, and then we blend it together to make the soil medium. You know, that is very similar to something you'd go buy in a, a bag at Walmart or Lowe's or something like that. Just that we have our own specific recipe for the plants that we grow. So we make a lot of that ourselves. The, the compost itself is uh, that's just a broken down material that's from plant material that's just highly nutritive, uh, but it's a little. It's variable, right? And so as you go through the pile, you could take samples throughout the pile and you're going to get differences in nutrient content. And uh, so that's why we don't use it in the greenhouse. It's just mainly because of the variability and we, we have to control for that. But when you're looking at, at putting it on our fields, our, our field plots, that's a little bit different. When we, we prepare our field plots, we're, you know, honestly, we're abusing the soil a little bit because again, we're after uh, uniformity. And a lot of these old plot planters, they need soil that's fairly worked up and, and uh, smooth. And uh, that drains organic matter after a while. And so being able to apply the compost year in and year out helps maintain those natural soil organic matter levels that we have to have in those plots. Well, if you're making compost, why don't you leave a little bit behind so that the existing soil doesn't get completely depleted? Well, I mean, that's that's more or less what we're we're doing, right? You know, we use fertilizers on the soil too, you know, so we don't deplete the nutrients ever, really. It's just that the compost adds a little bit of structure and a little bit of organic matter back into those soils to help maintain a healthy environment. That's really what we're after. And so we, we just keep doing that year in and year out as the situation calls for. We monitor those soils pretty heavily. And so we don't want to see them disappear. We, we go out of our way to take care of them. And the compost operation is how we do it in water. Okay. Um, any of the other uh, aspects of the operation that are particularly tricky or are changing a lot with new technology, you know, besides the lighting? I think when we look a little bit more broadly, you know, we're, we're seeing changes in automation, right? I'm not sure how quickly that'll come to the greenhouse setting, but certainly we're seeing it out in the field. You know, a lot of our tractors are uh, GPS enabled and can drive themselves. Someone has to be in a cab, but they steer, they steer down a line that you lay out for them. A lot of the planners that we have are computer controlled, not all of them, but some of them. And we actually have researchers working with uh, drones and robots um, that can get over top of canopies, underneath canopies to uh, take specific measurements, part of their research. So we're seeing a trend toward toward automation. It'll come to us a little more slowly than it will the agricultural industry writ large, only because it has to fit within the scope of what we do. But it's coming. And I, I think that's one of the bigger changes that we're seeing out there. Okay. You, you also mentioned in the beginning that your greenhouses don't necessarily have all the technology that some advanced ones do. So what's the difference? And I don't know if it's necessary for you, but 
what are some of the most advanced greenhouses do and have nowadays? More automation, really. You know, I've seen some greenhouses run totally robotic. They have these pretty cool robotic systems that can go in and do a lot of the work. That's really a lot of it right there. You know, they may be made of different materials. We're actually uh, sending our manager over to the Netherlands. She's going to be touring some of the uh, newer greenhouses over there. They're, they're pretty advanced, way more advanced than a lot of the houses we have here in the U.S., so it'll be interesting to see what she comes back with. But, you know, it, because we're a, a, an educational institution, you know, the funding's always a challenge, right? And so we've got to do do what we can fiscally while accomplishing our mission. And realistically, a lot of the time, that's a greenhouse. It's, it's a basic setup. It'll do the job. And that's what we need to go by. And then as we move down the road, perhaps we can embed some technologies into that that we might not have had starting off. Um, so what's ahead for the next, uh, I don't know, several years with the greenhouses? What are some of the major things that you want to bring in and implement? Well, really, it's more of a replacement program than anything else. Some of our greenhouses date back to the 40s and still have lead paint on them. You know, we can't really do anything with it short of an absolute uh, destruction. And that's really what we have to do at some point. We need to remove a lot of those older greenhouses and reinvest in some newer ones. And and I think that'll come slowly. And that's kind of what I'm seeing down the road a little bit. One of the things that we're uh, that I have not talked about as part of our greenhouse operation that's a little bit different is our growth chambers. Um, our growth chambers, our big ones look like walking coolers in a way, and then they shrink down in size to uh, reach-ins. It's look like a little refrigerator almost. Those chambers are used for experiments where you have to have absolute control over the environment. They control heat, humidity. You, know, you, you can dial the temperature and humidity levels exactly where you need them. Our team of this Design growth chambers that are far superior to the ones that you can find commercially. They are use about oh, maybe a third to half the energy that the commercial ones do because of the design. Uh, so our goal is to ultimately replace all of our older chambers. And again, we have some dating back to the Apollo capsule days. We need to move those out and get some new ones in that are much more efficient and manageable. And uh, so we're in the process of that too. That's another big project I see coming down the road. And so our chamber replacement program, uh, swapping out the old ones to get these new hyper-efficient chambers set up. It'll it'll benefit us in the long run in energy savings, repair costs, and, and really make the researchers a lot more happy with the environment. So, mm. you know, between greenhouse replacement and chamber replacement, those are some of the big initiatives that I see over the next few years coming. Does anyone use any of the space in the greenhouse like on the, you know, on the roof for solar? the summer, let's say, because it gets so hot anyway, uh, you know, like a solar cloth or something? Yeah, we can't really do that. The problem is that blocks the sunlight coming into the house where you really need it for the plants. There's some new technology out there that have been able to combine uh, solar capture along with the greenhouse, I guess, the greenhouse productivity in terms of sunlight being able to reach the plants. Uh, but that's a fairly new thing and not widely available at this point. But it is out there. And that is something we could look at down the road. But generally speaking, just to retrofit a greenhouse to do solar, you really can't do that because you'll sacrifice uh, light efficiency coming in. I understand. Makes sense. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what's the best way for people to uh, see what's happening in Cornell, you know, AES with, uh, with all the greenhouses and the experimentation? Is there a central website? all the work that's going on or, or how can people find out more? Well, there is, yes. We do have a central website, actually. I can send it to you. Probably be easier to send it to you than the Cornell AES Research Farms has a website. People can kind of dive onto that and take a look at, and get a pretty good idea of what we do and, and how we do it. And of course, you know, depending, we're always available for some, some tours and group tours and that kind of thing. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, very good. 
Well, Sean, thanks for coming on the podcast and, uh, and talking about all the, the happenings over there at Cornell. I appreciate it. Remember, before you go, check out CBDFX.com for the best in organic, all-natural CBD products, both for you and your pets. Boost your wellness today and get 25% off your first order, plus get a free CBD bath bomb when you use code GENIUS at checkout. That's code G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at CBDFX.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.